Um, I did want to uh, just mention, uh, I think Kristen did in the, in the welcome video as well, but if you are checking us out for the first time, be sure and let us know that. Go to theporchcc.com and go to the Connect tab and let us know that you're here because we just want to, uh, we want to connect with you. We want to be with you. We want to walk with you on this journey of faith that we are all on together. So we are in this summer series called Something in the Water. And what we're doing is we're taking, uh, over, over the summer months, we're going to be looking at different moments throughout Scripture where God reveals himself. He reveals his character. He reveals his power through water. And there's a whole bunch of stories. Like, we won't be able to cover them all. But I did want to list a few just to kind of get our minds thinking about, oh, yeah, God did that. Oh, yeah, God did that. He used the water to do that and to do that. I did mention to you last week that Water is mentioned in Scripture 722 times, and it's actually mentioned more than the words faith and hope and prayer and worship, and not that the water supersedes those things, but it's obvious that God uses water to reveal himself to us. So here's a couple of examples of that before we get into John chapter 2 this morning. Um, think about this. Here's how God, God used the waters at creation. So you go to Genesis, like the second verse, there is water. He used water to, to reveal himself. There's the, um, there's the water of the flood that saved Noah and his family. And it's also the same water that God used to destroy the evilness of the world. So his power is, is big. There's the water of the Nile River that Moses was placed in as a baby and sent down and, and was found, and, and, and that began how God just arranged all of that for him to lead his people. Uh, there's the water of the Red Sea, right, that was parted so that the Israelites could escape the slavery and the, the bondage they had been in, and, and that same water then actually like swallowed up uh, their captors who were pursuing after them. So there's this power in water. God uses water over and over again. There's... Um, there's the water where Jonah spent three days in the belly of a big fish. And if you don't think that's a true story, Friday, Friday, some of y'all are going, I think I know what you're doing. Friday, this commercial lobster fisherman off of Cape Cod was diving and he got swallowed up by a whale. And then the whale spat him out. This just happened Friday. So, okay, if, just in case you're wondering if that whole Jonah thing happened, it did. Um, so then there's the water of a healed man who had a skin condition who was told to go to the water and wash, and he would be made new, cleaned, and he was. There's the water that, uh, of, the, of the Jordan River where baptisms continue to this day. There's the water of, of, uh, that the fishermen that became Jesus' disciples that they spent their time on, and it's where they met him. There's that, the water of the healing of a pool in Bethesda where those who were, that needed help, that, that had ailments and, and hurts, would go to receive healing. There's the water that was being drawn from a well by a desperate woman who thought that that was what she really needed. And then there's the water that that Jesus calmed and that he walked on. I mean, so God just uses water and over and over and over again to reveal himself and his power and his character in so many ways. This is what he does. So, so God reveals himself through, through water, but not just in scripture. I mean, in creation too, when you think about it, I mean, water is essential to our life. It's, it's essential to our life. Uh, 70 to 75% of the earth's surface is water. 
as, as adults, about 70% of our body is supposed to be water. For some of you, it might be sweet tea or coffee or whatever that might be. Um, and our, even our brain, like 85% of our brain, of an adult brain, is supposed to be 85% water. So, I mean, water is essential to everything. And so in John chapter 2 this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at another example of God the Father revealing himself through his son Jesus who is transforming water into wine. Transforming water into wine. And though I know, I know, I know that some of you know this story. You may not have examined some of the details of this transformation that we're going to look at today, which I think are, are pretty amazing. Now, I do feel like I need to emphasize this, and it's funny because I was praying about this this morning, and I was like, yeah, I really need to say this, and I've already heard it this morning in prayer. I've heard, I heard Justin pray it. I heard Spence pray it. Um, I heard us sing about it. I've heard this already, but I, I have to say that um, I think for many, many Christians, and so if you want to throw yourself in this <laughs> you can, but I think many Christians are underwhelmed by what we read in Scripture, that we're just underwhelmed, like we're not moved. We're not moved by even those examples I just read, that when we go to Scripture and read them, we're not, we're not affected by them. It doesn't change us. It doesn't cause us to drop our jaw or to step back and go, are you kidding me? Like, some of us are more astonished that a dude in Cape Cod got swallowed up on Friday than we are about Jonah. We're underwhelmed by Scripture. And it's like, it's like we don't often come to it with expectancy. It's like we don't come to it with a focus, like, God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to know you more. So, you know, at times what we, what we might do is we might actually like read the words of scripture and maybe possibly hope that something jumps off the page at us, right? Or we come to scripture going, okay, God, there's a certain issue I'm dealing with right now. You know, please, you know, would you do something? But we're just underwhelmed by the possibility of God's word. So we've sung about it this morning. We've prayed about it. And so before we even look at it, I just ask you, do you want to be moved by the word of God this morning. So Jesus is at a wedding. And his disciples are at the wedding with him. His mom's there with him. A um, bunch of other people are there with him. And the hosts of the wedding run out of wine. Mary, Jesus' mom, she knows that Jesus could do something about this. She goes and tells them. And they have this exchange. We're not really going to look at that right now. What I want to look at is his response. And so beginning in verse 6 of John chapter 2, it says this, Nearby stood six stone water jars. I don't know about you guys, but I've always read this story, and I've just thought of like little pitchers, you know, like at a restaurant, you know. No, these are six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. So these were not just like a pitcher that you would have. And, you know, like this was like a, a, a thing. And it held, uh, what does it say? Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So these are huge. These are big. These, these, are, these are humongous things. And there were six of them. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. So all the way to the top, there they are. Then he told them, now... Draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. 
So they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been, listen, turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. you got to imagine there might be a smirk on their face going, ha-ha, you wash your hands out of that thing. But anyway, then he called the bridegroom aside. So the master of the banquet calls the bridegroom aside, and he said, hey, everyone brings out the cheap stuff, I mean, the, the expensive stuff, you know, and then, and then the cheaper wine later as the guests start to get a little tipsy. This is the Shannon version of the story. But you have saved the best till now. And we don't see a response, you know, but then we find in verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is what I mean by sometimes we're underwhelmed by scripture because see somewhere between fill the jars with water And it being drawn out to be tasted, a miracle takes place. An absolute miracle occurs. And Jesus, according to scripture, reveals his glory through this. He transforms water to wine. So let's nerd out together for a little bit, all right, for just for a few moments. I am not a, a connoisseur of wine. It's not, it's not my jam. That's a, that's a grape joke for you. Um, I just I don't really care for it. I didn't even make that up. That wasn't my notes. Wine, uh, here's the deal. Here's what I do know, though. Wine requires a process. Wine requires a process. And in that time, especially that Jesus was in, that culture, everybody knew that wine required a process. Okay, it wasn't in a box on the shelf at Winn-Dixie, okay, because that's the fancy stuff. Like, but this required a true, true process, all right? So it starts actually with the soil. The whole process, it begins with the soil. What have you done with the soil to prepare it? Then it starts with, then it, then it goes into the growth of the plant in that soil. What kind of plant? What's around it? All this goes into it. The maturation of the grape, like how, you know, you got to take care of it. You can't just let anything happen and weeds grow everywhere. Then there's the harvesting of the grape. You don't want to be bruising that and tearing it up. You have to be careful about it. There's a process to this. Then, there, then the grapes get pressed, right, into juice, and then that happens, and then there's the storage of it. What do you store it in? What's the best way? And then the fermentation of it, right, what gives it its kick? And then there's the aging time of this like, that, that's required for the fermentation. So, like, depending on the quality of the wine, this can take years, especially for the good stuff, which is what the master of the the banquet said that they, he had. So think about this. Water transforming into wine in mere seconds, if even that. What, that requires actual power. That, that requires authority. That requires uh, authority over time, over space, and over the elements. This is why scripture says... He revealed his glory. See, are we underwhelmed by scripture? Are we underwhelmed by what, what, what we've read so many times? And the thing is, is that Jesus bypassed the entire 
process. He bypassed the entire time frame needed to complete the process. And so in transforming this water into wine, what we find is that Jesus demonstrated his authority over all things down to the molecular level. So we know what water is, right? H2O. Two hydrogens, one oxygen. Right? We know that. We know this. And the thing about water is that it doesn't just change its molecular makeup in a few seconds without the power and authority of a creator. It doesn't happen. You don't put, I know some of you probably hope this could happen, that you could pour water into a wine glass and set it down and then just wait for it to turn into wine. It doesn't happen that way. Yet according to scripture, the water, two hydrogens and one oxygen, were transformed transformed and see with wine it contains sugars and yeast and of course grapes and 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 the water that's in there and then and then which you can get carbon in there you can get nitrogen in there along with oxygen and hydrogen they're in there all this happens but here's what you may have never considered before about this water story By transforming water into wine, Jesus demonstrates his authority over the atomic structure by causing oxygen and and two hydrogen atoms to actually disassemble and reform into other atoms of different configurations to make wine. This was his authority. This was his power. This is what he did. And to top it off, did you know that the amount of energy that it would take to perform this kind of molecular deconstruction and then reconstruction equals the power of an atomic bomb? God the Son, Jesus Christ, did this. See, he's the creator of rain and sunshine and dirt and grapes. He's the, defi- he's the divine force behind growth and fermentation and metabolization and all that. He makes his first ever in human form display of his God exclusive power. And he does it at a wedding. Somewhere between go fill up those jars. And draw some out. No atomic bomb went off. We don't hear about the the grapes going through the process. Just go and draw some. Go fill that up and then draw some out. Look at the beginning of verse 9 again. It says, And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. You know me and my Greek words. I like to use them every now and then. And the Greek word used to explain turned into right here, it's this word genomai, genomai. And it means to become as if it didn't exist before. To become. It means to come into existence. It means to begin to be. It means to be assembled, put together, genomai. 
And this is a word that most of us probably haven't really heard before. I hadn't before I was studying this. But this is the something in the water. The transformation from, from to, to something new. The transformation that only God can do. And it's Jesus working through the water to make something brand new available. Now look at verse 11. This is again one of those things that we kind of just read and go, okay. But it says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Fill up those water jugs. Draw some out. And he revealed his glory. And then it says this, and his disciples believed in him. Hold on, weren't they already his disciples? <laughs> his disciples were his disciples because he was a teacher. And that wasn't anything new. There were a lot of teachers that had disciples. But it was in that moment when he reveals his glory and he reveals who he is that they were no longer just following a teacher. They believed in him. They believed him to be the son of God. They believed in him. And so here's where I want you and I to, to be overwhelmed by scripture instead of underwhelmed by it. As we make our way in a few moments to the communion table. For those who believe in the power and the authority of Jesus to transform anything and anyone at any time, your lives will never be the same. I mean, this is what he's done. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by space. He's not bound by anything that you and I think is a boundary or a wall or a restriction to our lives being transformed. He is the one. There's, there's something in the water. So this was the beginning, right? This was the beginning. It's the first miracle we see. It's the beginning of it all. About three years later, Jesus and his disciples, what they do? They sat around a table and they celebrated the Passover meal. And in Matthew 26, we read these words starting in verse 26. And it says, as they were eating. So think about what happened at the wedding, okay? As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces, gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he, and he gave thanks to God for it and he gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. His disciples had witnessed the miracle of water being transformed into wine and many other moments of these divine type transformations affecting people's lives over, over those three years. And so now Jesus holds up bread that represents his body broken for them. And he holds up the wine that represents his blood as a sacrifice for their forgiveness of sins. Now, Jesus was not transforming at the molecular level 
those elements. He wasn't changing the bread. He wasn't changing the wine to actual body and actual blood at this meal. Because he had not yet gone to the cross to pay the price for our sins. That was a once and for all moment. So this is a representation of what he has done. But what he was doing at that meal is he was establishing the transformation that was going to be available to all people. To all people. All who believe in him. All who believe in him. All who repent of their sin. All who come to him and say, you are God, I am not. I need a savior. I need saving. So what Jesus established is the, the transformation from death to life. He establishes at this table what it represents is from, from his, our sin to forgiveness. The prophet Ezekiel said this about transforming water. In Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning of verse 25, Listen to the words. They're so beautiful. The prophets speak these beautiful words. He says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Do you see Genomai right there in, in Ezekiel? Do you see that happening? You see this occurring? A heart cleaned, a heart transformed, God's spirit within us, like what was not of God removed and then him putting something new within there, transformed from what it previously was. This is what the Apostle Paul says about transformation, the transformation that Jesus makes possible for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Genomai, that's the transformation. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. This is the transformation. It's an absolute miracle, a miracle that we could be separated from God in our sin, in our mistakes, in our filth, as Ezekiel says, that we could be separated from God, and yet, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can be transformed, an absolute miracle. And we should be overwhelmed by this. Overwhelmed by this. As we make our way to the communion table, as the band comes back up, I want to point out something that, that we practice here. And we, we call this an open table. And what we mean by that is that anyone who desires to be transformed, you don't have to have it all figured out. Anyone who says, I want to be new in Christ Jesus. Anyone who desires for their old life to be gone and for their new life to begin. Anyone. Anyone who wants to be uh, transformed, right? Anyone who wants to be transformed into who you were created to be through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are welcome at this table. 
Now, I want to point out that participating in communion doesn't, doesn't save us. It doesn't bring us that transformation. The transformation, the, the opportunity for it has already begun through Jesus. It's a matter of us accepting it, living into it, claiming it. But it gives us, communion does, this visual reminder of the transformative power of Jesus to change our lives. What, what we once were, we no longer have to be. Water to wine. I'll ask those who are going to be serving communion to come and stand alongside the table as we pray together. Father, we come before you this morning to share in this sacrament. But not only that, we come to be reminded of your glory, of your power, of your, of your miracle-making ways. God, forgive us for being underwhelmed by who you are and by what your word tells us and shows us. Forgive us for being so underwhelmed that we don't even hear the Holy Spirit when he gives us a nudge. God, for the person who thinks that the transformative power of Jesus is enough for everyone else except for them, oh God, would you, <laughs> would you remove that stony heart <laughs> and replace it with one that's beating for you? The greatest miracle is that you've pursued us through Jesus Christ. May we be overwhelmed by that reality today. And may our participation in this sacrament of communion just remind us again of that miracle. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As they sat at that table that night, the bread was lifted up by Christ, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he lifted it and he said, this cup is a cup of my blood. The new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he shared that meal with his friends. We pray and thank you for this moment, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. In just a moment, the ushers will give you direction on uh, when to come to receive if you would like to receive um, and uh, which station for you to, you may go to. We come as we participate in communion. We come with our hands open. We don't come to take it. We come to receive it. So allow the servers to place that bread in your hand. And then you may take that bread and dip it in the juice and be reminded of that blood of Christ poured out for you. So come at the ushers leading.